for us. Good morning, Father. Thank you so much for this day, Father. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this time together will be a beautiful aroma to your nostril, Father God, that we will be pleased to, to you, Father God. I thank you so much for, for your mercy, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your love for us, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will continue to walk with you every single day, Father. So we worship you this morning, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
of Jesus Christ, of those who were still held captive by the power of sin. And so, Father, we thank you. Strengthen us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk, but it's living through the power of God. And we've been talking about this, and I want to continue to encourage us that it just can't be a lot of talk, that there's actually power in a life that is transformed by the power of God, that we can live emboldened, to overcome the very nature that has held us enslaved, but only through Christ. It can't be anything that we would try to accomplish. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to review two sets of scripture before we move into new scriptures today. Next week, hopefully, we'll pick back up walking through the Bible. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. It's where we're heading to start our time this morning. I want to remind us, as I have been, that we are living in days that are growing even more evil and darkened. But we are to be encouraged as Christians that we are to go forth as the light because we have the truth to set captives free. It's not our truth, it's His truth. It's all about Jesus. Remember what we've talked about over the past few weeks. It is our belief that He is the Son of God. It's our confession that He has been raised from the dead. And by this belief and confession, we are saved. If you believe that, if you're confessing it, then we've got to understand what we're believing and what we're confessing. Like Jesus' resurrection destroys the power of sin in our lives. Destroys the power of death over us. We are made alive in Christ Jesus. We now have the good news of the gospel. The good news first and foremost for ourselves. And then as we're being transformed daily, we have the good news to share with others. Because we recognize that our battle is not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers and the principalities and the air of the darkness. There is an enemy. And I've shared with you before. He is after you. He wants to destroy your soul. He wants to take you captive and lead you to his destruction. But Jesus... But Jesus has came to set the captives free. You're not meant for destruction. You can choose to continue to go your way, but why would you? Why would you when Jesus has come to set you free? Free from the enemy, freed from religion that forces you to think that you have to make yourself good? free from all the enslavement that we can find ourselves yoking ourselves to. Like when you come to Christ, you come to the realization He is all you need to live a life. Remember, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance, life to the full. It is the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. How does He do that? He blinds the minds 
of people. Look at this scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Listen to what Paul is writing here to this church. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, this new way of life. Listen, when you make that confession, you have that belief in your heart, you are a new creation. And this is what you're getting up each and every single day reminding yourself of. Remember, your Christian life is not about being perfect, but it is about maturing. Because you recognize that your eyes have been opened. You're beginning to understand there's a whole new way of living. You're no longer enslaved to the old woman, to the old man. But you've been set free. You saw your need for a Savior. You're not looking out to become religious. You don't need a lot of rules and laws and, and lists to check off. No, you found hope in one. His name is Jesus. He came to set you free. But the enemy is blinding the minds of people. Remember, his intent is for you not to understand the truth. But he is not greater than our God. That's why each and every single day I've been encouraging you, when you wake up as a Christian... And remember, when we say Christian, it's not that you're, again, you're perfect. Like everything in your life is perfect. Your mind is perfect. Your heart is perfect. You're doing no wrong. No. That's the enemy lying to you, trying to pressure you into believing something that is not true. Jesus knows right where you're at. He knows right where I'm at. And each and every single day, he bids us to come. Get up from where you are and just keep moving forward. Get up from where you've been and keep moving forward. Because remember what the Word of God tells us. How does He transform us? By changing the way we think. How does the enemy deceive us? By blinding our minds. How does He get available to our minds? Because we give Him a foothold. We start believing the lies that's being told to us. That we're telling ourselves. They develop these strongholds as we've been talking about over the past couple weeks. It's a pattern of thinking that you're thinking that's not true. It goes against the very nature of God and it goes against God's word. But remember what scripture said. Jesus has given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish those strongholds. 
that we may live a new life. We've been given this new way. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Understand you've woken up behind enemy lines. You don't want to get entangled with the world. You, you want to get up and you want to keep moving forward to the one who has called you. You want to find hope and peace in every circumstance because of Christ. Not because of yourself or not even because of your circumstances, but in Christ. You see, the gospel is available and it should be given to everyone. See, we all come, we're all born into sin. Every human being on this planet, we are born into sin. No matter what that nature is, it's sin. No matter what we chose to go and do, it's sin. And as I was sharing the other night, the same gospel that I'm going to preach to a murderer is the same gospel that I'll preach to one who just gossips. It's the same gospel I'm going to preach to a thief as it is to a homosexual or to a heterosexual who's giving themselves sexually to anyone and everyone. It's the same gospel I'm going to preach to one who is bound by religion. It's the gospel. It's the same message for everyone. We're all sinners. And we're all welcome to come to hear the good news. And we pray that people would respond and turn from their old life, no matter what it is, and turn to the new way, Jesus. That's why we've got to be very careful. We just can't slap Jesus on our old life and remain old. And then pretend that somehow we're honoring Jesus. No, because remember our confession is that he rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, and remember we said he just is still dead on that cross or buried in that tomb? <laughs> then fine. <laughs> remain your old way. <laughs> And slap the name Christian on you. That's why I'm telling you, a lot of people are still worshiping him on the cross. They're still worshiping him behind the tomb. There's no hope in change. There's no hope in freedom from what we identify with. There's no hope then. But when you confess and that you believe that he is the son of God and that he rose from the dead, the power of sin is broken. And there is a new way to live, not the old way. And we don't just claim his name and keep going our old way. No, that's why every day as Christians, if we're believing, if we're confessing, then we are beginning this new way of life. It's a new way of life. You're no longer blinded by the enemy. But the enemy is going to come. <laughs> and he's going to try to deceive you. The world is going to keep screaming at you in your old nature, whatever that was, whatever you enjoyed, whatever you liked, whatever you identify with, is going to keep trying to draw you back. <laughs> but that's where you have to keep reminding yourself, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. You need to talk to yourself. You need to make your belief and your confession something that you remind yourself daily of and throughout the day. 
that this new way of life is not guaranteed in of my own strength. It's guaranteed because of Jesus and what he has done and the Holy Spirit who's been given to me. My comforter is my teacher. That's why last week when we read in Hebrews that we don't treat his blood as something common, as if it didn't do anything. How horrible would it would how horrible for that to be a belief in our confession? And yet it didn't do anything. What kind of weirdness is that? No, when you believe and you confess, you realize, no, wait a minute. Like I'm beginning to see things different now. There's a newness. There's a new way. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. We read this last week. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be apart with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Look at what he's saying here. That you are the temple of the living God. Not because of anything you've done. Remember, it's not about you. It's all about him. Like you are not to be partaking and yoking yourselves to unbelievers, to the things of this world. For you are the temple of the living God. This is what God said, not man. Rob didn't say it. Paul didn't say it. No other man, no other woman said it, but the living God has declared, I will live in them and will walk among them. God, you all, God is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus. This world is not our home. This is yet but a temporal place. We're just just foreigners walking through. There's a a glorious day awaiting us. All of us were created for eternity. We don't settle for the temporalness of this life. We don't settle for the temporal relationships in this life. We're not settling. We're not seeking to take up residence here. Because we know at any moment, all of this can be gone. So isn't it beautiful to be able to cling to the words that the living God has spoken. I will live with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Look at this beautiful promise here. I will be your father. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And I've been encouraging you. 
God's plan from the beginning is to have a people that he will call his own and they will call him their God. That they would live for him. That they would honor him. That they wouldn't, again, it's not about perfection, but it is about a level of obedience. Because remember Jesus' words, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I've commanded? Jesus knows our hearts. The heart in and of itself is wicked. It is bent against God. But the newness of life, the new heart that we receive from our belief and our, from our confession is a new heart. It's a heart towards Jesus. It's a heart to, to hear truth and a hunger for truth. It's a heart that's not going to settle for the, for the temporalness of this life, but it's a heart that wants to be rooted in truth and in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read chapter 2. And then we're going to go straight into chapter 3. He's writing, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Again, when you read these letters to these churches, as they were for them, so it is for us today. And Paul is constantly writing these letters to these churches because these churches are constantly getting caught up in error. They're being taught things that are wrong. They're beginning to follow a different gospel. Like, you understand the war that is being waged against the church of Christ. But the promise of God's word is that the gates of hell cannot prevail. Hell, in and of itself, will not have the victory. Because Christ has already won the victory. But oh, how I pray that we would awaken to this understanding. As it was then, so it is today, and so it will be until his return. Hell is going to press in on every side to keep people ignorant. To blind their minds. (laughs) To lead them astray. To make the blood of Jesus so common, and the life in Jesus as if it's nothing. Oh, but church, we better wake up. We better sense the times in which we're living. And we better hear as Paul addressed it then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it was written then, so it is for our day to day. We must grow up. We must mature. We must recognize the hour and the day in which we are living. And we must seek Him with our whole being. Listen to what it says here. Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Everyone hear that? You once were. You should underline it. You should highlight it. 
That's how you're to recognize yourself. You once were dead. It's not that you're still dead. It's not that you're still, quote unquote, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a sinner. No, you may still sin, but you're not identifying with that nature any longer. Because you've been set free. Once you were dead because of your disobedience. Well, that's not how you should be recognizing yourself anymore. You were once dead in your disobedience. But now every day you should be making this confession, this understanding. And you should be praying, Lord, Holy Spirit, teach me to obey. You've opened my eyes to this. You've begun this work in me. Remember, I keep telling you, you wouldn't have woken up at any moment in your life and said, today I'll follow God. In and of your flesh, that would never happen. The reason that you even give an inclination or you even look towards God is because he's drawing you to himself. It's his work so that you won't boast in anything. All you will boast in is Christ. You will begin to obey. You were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Look at verse 2. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. You used to live in sin. Not that you're still in there. Not that you're still living how you used to live, doing what you used to do. And you say, but I am. Then I would say, why are you? Especially if you're believing and you're confessing. If you're believing and you're confessing and you are still enslaved to sin, don't keep going back there. Again, remember, it's not that you won't sin, but when you do, sin is not to master you. Like you're to get up and say, well, then how do I live now? Which way do I go? How do I obey? God, you've begun this work in me. I know that you're able to complete it. So here I am, Lord. Teach me. I don't want sin to be my master. Because remember in Romans 6, it gives us this understanding that sin is no longer your master. You're no longer a slave to all these desires and these needs and these wants inside of you. They, they're not to control you anymore. You're to say no to them by the power of Christ. Not the power of yourself, but the power of Christ in and through you. He goes on here. He is the spirit, talking about the devil, at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united 
with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. God is so rich in his mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, look what it says there in verse 4, he gives us life. All because Jesus rose from the dead. See, it all ties back, you all, to your belief and your confession. Do we truly believe? Are we truly confessing that Jesus rose from the dead? As you think, so you go. And so may we remember that we are made alive with Christ. That we are God's masterpiece. That he has created within us a newness of life. And that is our hope. He goes on here. Don't forget that you Gentiles, remember Gentiles are those who aren't Jewish, (laughs) used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now... You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Look what it says there. You were once far away from God. You were without Him and you had no hope. You were just bound and enslaved to this world and to sin. You were destined and moving towards hell. But God, full of love, full of mercy, look what it says here. You have now, through Christ, been united. You were once far away, but now you have been brought near, all because of the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. 
and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now that we understand this, verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives in His Spirit. When I think of all of this, he goes on in chapter 3, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, Assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. But now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And look at verse 6. Don't miss this. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He has graciously gave me all the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the Creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Paul is writing this from prison. He's encouraging the church. He's reminding them that they are made alive with Christ, that they are at one and peace with Christ. He's reminding them of God's mysterious plan that now is revealed. It's no longer hidden from us. We're not governed by the commandments and the law anymore. The old covenant has been fulfilled through Christ. We're now part of a new covenant for those who believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. 
It is because we put our faith in him, we can now come boldly, as scripture says here, and confidently into God's presence. Remember, as we read last week about Paul, he was a one of the top Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was well scholared. He, he had such knowledge of God and the commandments that he used to gather up Christians to kill them before he came to Christ. And he hated Gentiles. He, they were beneath him. And now he's in prison because of them. Because his life has been transformed. God revealed his mystery. And as he has done to Paul, he's revealing it to us. He's revealing it to us. This has been my plan from the beginning. And do you realize what it says there about the church? God's purpose, verse 10, and all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. These rulers, these authorities... They tried to captivate us and hold us down in the very nature that we were born into. Everything in us and everything around us goes against God. So can you imagine what it is when one of us bows our knee and says, I believe? Do you understand what it does in the spiritual realm? Do you understand what it does when people on the outside look at you and say, what's, what's different about you? What's wrong with you? And you say, I believe. I put my faith and my belief in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. And I confess that He rose from the dead. And because He rose from the dead, I no longer have to be bound to a nature that is in rebellion towards Him. I'm no longer deceived by the principalities and rulers and the air of the darkness that comes to try to rob me of my mind and my peace, that tries to blind me. No, I'm living differently now. I'm walking differently in a world that is temporal and not my home. Would you like to experience the same freedom I'm experiencing? And they have a choice. They have a choice. Well, yeah, because there's something really different about you. I want to know this Jesus. Then you share. Remember, as his return is approaching, we don't know the hour, we don't know the time, but we do know that he's returning. The world's going to get darker. The days in which are to be on this earth before his return is to be worse than the days of Noah. Is everything okay over there? Do y'all for it? Because it's distracting me. I mean, it's really hard to stand up here and try to preach and share. And I'm monitoring all these different conversations. So I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just, I'm just being real. It really is hard. 
You know, I'm pouring out. I care about your eternal souls. And every time I'm looking up, we're all over the place. And it really, it's just hard, you all. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I genuinely care that y'all hear truth and that you begin to understand truth. You know? I could be doing something else with my time. <laughs> I really could be. I'm talking about life. Listen to what's being read here. There's people on this earth that would love to hear what's being said. There's people on this earth that would love just to even have a Bible in their hands. There's people dying because they have a Bible or they're sitting and listening to the Word of God being preached. It's just hard. This is what I'm trying to share here. Thank God, you all. The world is getting darker. People are are growing more and more and more wicked. By the time he returns, he himself says, if there is going to be faith on the earth, because the time is going to be worse than the times of Noah. People are going to be such a lover of themselves. They're they're just going to embrace rebellion. They're just going to be living however they want and claiming whatever they want. And they're going to put Christians to death. And by doing so, they're going to think they're really doing the work of God. This is what we're contending with, you all, each and every single day as believers. Each and every single day. We're in a hostile world that is against everything that is true of God's nature. And we're called to be the light. I mean, even here it goes on in verse 14. Paul begins to pray. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever 
and ever. Amen. The words in which were just read, the words in which we, we just heard, are words that were written by a man in prison because of his faith in Jesus, reminding people there is a way to live. There is a way. And he's praying for people. And remember, these are the people he used to hate. Like, he hated Gentiles. He hated them with a passion. But God transformed his life when he came to Jesus. And now God has revealed his plan to him. And he sends him out. As he does with each of us. God is pleased to reveal himself to us. Come to know God through Jesus. Come back to God is our message that we share with people. Turn to God through Jesus. There's no other way to God. Only through Jesus. It doesn't matter what man is saying. It doesn't matter what man is teaching. If it's not truth, don't listen to it. There's no other religion in this world that gives you the hope of Christ, of a resurrected life. And yet this is the message that's being attacked all around the world. Why? It doesn't make sense. Why on earth would governments, would people, would other religions want to kill Christians? Now think about this in your natural mind. Why would you kill someone who is peaceful? Who lives at peace and they don't bother themselves with what's going on with everyone else. Because you should read how the Christians should be living. They're hard workers. They're good students. They're not living for themselves. In fact, they're, they're serving and they're giving everything to everyone else. They're honoring authorities. And yet, we're being slaughtered all around the earth. More so now than ever before in history. Christians are being targeted and they're being slaughtered. They're being driven out of their homes. They're having to go from country to country to country just to find a place. And even in our own nation... We're beginning to feel the pressure of truly being Christians. Not just people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus and I can keep living however I want. No, that's not a Christian. If you truly live a Christian life, you are going to be pushed up against. And you say, well, why would I want that? Because of eternity. <laughs> you don't want to settle for this. But for eternity, God is pleased to reveal himself. Come to me. Turn to me. Like at any moment. So the, the, the natural mind, does, that, that doesn't even make sense. Well, why would we be killing off Christians? They're not hurting anybody. Let them believe in their weird God. Do whatever they want. Let them gather. Who are they hurting? In fact, we want them as employers. We want them as students. But No. Understand the spiritual realm. The ruler, Satan, the principalities, and the air and the darkness. Kill them. 
because they're a threat to our kingdom. Kill them. Round them up and slaughter them. Don't let them open up their businesses. Don't give them even a platform to speak. And he begins to deceive the minds of people. And people now are turning against the kingdom of God. He comes to try to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But God, you all. Jesus, I've come to give you life. This is what we're contending with. This is what we're wrestling with every single day, every time you take a breath. Life and death are before you. And listen, you can choose to live however you want. And that's why as Christians, we shouldn't be looking like the world who is hollering at people and attacking people for what they believe. No, they have every right to live however they want. We recognize that because we were once there. But we want to share the good news with them. We want to live differently than them. They need to see that, wait a minute, why would you risk everything for a king that you've never seen? Why would you give your life to a man that supposedly died for you, paid the payment for you, so that you, you're not hostile towards God anymore, but that he rose from the dead to set you free. And you say, because that's the key word, he has set me free. I see differently now. I see differently. I'm not looking through the temporalness of life any longer. I see differently now. Again, the spiritual realm is real. Why do you think it's presented us th- to us through the media? Why do you think people are drawn to the occult, to the dark things of life? And we never give a second thought to that. I never once, before I became a Christian, when I gave myself to the rituals and to all of the craziness and and being drawn to all this stuff, worshiping nature, just worshiping crystals. I mean, I never once gave it a thought. Oh, it's just what I do. It's just who I am. But good gracious mighty, I, I start thinking of Jesus and it's like everything is bombarding me. And that's what I'm trying to say to y'all. Do you understand it's a real war over for your soul? Like, how is that? How is it that I can sit here and teach you about crystals, teach you how to meditate and to chant and become one with the earth, and you won't even feel a thing? Like, oh, you'll just be caught up in it. And you'll go through your week doing it. And no one will kill you for it. But as soon as you turn, because Jesus is calling you and you say, Lord, (laughs) you're real? Like, oh God. All of a sudden, everything comes at you. Don't go that way. Don't listen to them. This is an error. Look, they're trying to deceive you. They're trying to. And it's this weird thing that battles within us. 
to keep us away from truth. Like, we better wake up. And Paul is praying for the church to grow spiritually. What a beautiful prayer. That we would understand the unlimited resources of God. That he will empower us with inner strength through the Holy Spirit. That's why as a Christian you can't just get up every day just lollygagging behind it. Allowing your flesh to just carry you every which way it wants to go. Allowing deception to rule in your heart and to your mind. You can't live a weird sense of a false reality. Either you're free or you're not. And by God, we ought to walk in freedom because that's what Christ came to give us. I said, God, I'm not, I don't want to settle for a little freedom and a lot of bondage. <laughs> no, God, I want everything that you have. I want everything that you came to give me. Like, that's how we should be waking up every morning, no matter our circumstances. Like, trust me, over these past years, my circumstances have screamed at me to give up. But every morning I have to get up and say, but no, God, you said there's freedom. And I don't want to settle just for a little bit of freedom and a lot of bondage. I want all that you have for me, God. And whatever it takes, Lord, break me, strip me, knock me down. I just want all of you. I don't want to settle for less. We've been given the kingdom of God, you all. We've been given a kingdom. Like we're inheritors of the kingdom of God because of Jesus, not because of anything of ourselves. Like he's sharing it all with us. He's saying, come. He is our groom. We are his bride. He's gone away to prepare a place for us and he's soon coming to gather us. And we're going to share in his inheritance for all of eternity. And I do not want to settle for this. That can be snatched away from me at any moment. Oh no, there is a war. And it's intensifying every day that he gets closer to returning. Go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. This is Jesus' teaching. Remember, Jesus likes to teach in parables, short stories. He likes to lay out insight to his kingdom, to himself, by illustrating his purpose through these stories. 
So this is a parable, a short story of the great feast. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Now follow along and listen to this and see if you, see if you can put the pieces together before I tell you the pieces. And the Lord will give us insight and understanding to this story. For the little bit that you may know of Jesus, try to allow the Holy Spirit to give you understanding to what he's saying here. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened, fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I want you to think what you just heard and what probably has come to your mind about an understanding of this. And I'm going to read to you the understanding of this parable. Jesus told the parable of the wedding feast this parable is similar in some ways to the parable of the great banquet found in Luke chapter 14. But the occasion is different, and it has some important distinction. To better understand the context of the story, it is important to know some basic facts about weddings in Jesus' day. In Jewish society, the parents of the betrothed genuinely drew up the marriage contract. The bride and groom would meet, perhaps for the first time. When the contract 
when this contract was signed. The couple was considered married at this point, but they would separate until the actual time of the ceremony. The bride would remain with her parents and the groom would leave to prepare their home. This could take a quite a while. When the home was all, I'm sorry, when the home was all ready, the groom would return for his bride without notice. The marriage ceremony would then take place and the wedding banquet would follow. The wedding banquet was one of the most joyous occasions in Jewish life and could last up to a week. In his parable, Jesus compares heaven to a wedding banquet that a king had prepared for his son. Many people had been invited, but when the time for the banquet came and the table was set, those invited refused to come. In fact, the king's servants who brought the joyful message were mistreated and even killed. The king, enraged at the response of those who had been invited, sent his army to avenge the death of his servants. He then sent invitations to anyone his servants could find, with the result that the wedding hall was filled. During the feast, the king noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. When he, when asked how he came to be there without the furnished attire, the man had no answer and was promptly ejected from the feast outside into the darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus then ends the parable with this statement, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Here's the understanding. The king is God, the father. And the son who is being honored at the banquet is Jesus, who came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive them, was Israel. Israel held the invitation to the kingdom. Remember back in the Old Testament? But when the time actually came for the kingdom to appear, they refused to believe. Remember, Jesus is born. He's moving now and, 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 and preaching and doing wonderful miracles. And the Pharisees, the people who should have known, what do they want from him? They wanted him dead. Just as it was with the prophets that God sent to Israel. Just as when John the Baptist came onto the scene to prepare the way for Jesus, the people responded in killing them. They didn't want to hear the invitation. He goes on here. Many prophets, including John the Baptist, have been murdered. The king's reprisal against the murders can, can be interpreted as a prophecy of Jerusalem's destruction in A.D. 70 at the hands of the Romans. More broadly, the king's vengeance speaks of the desolation mentioned in the book of Revelation. Because God is patient, but he will not tolerate weakness, wickedness forever. His judgment will come upon those who reject his offer of salvation. Considering what salvation costs Jesus, is not this judgment well deserved? Note that it is not because the invited guests could not come to the wedding feast, but that they would not come. 
Understand that. These people were invited, but they went back their own ways. Everyone had an excuse. How tragic and how indictive of human nature to be offered the blessings of God and to refuse them because of the drawl of mundane temporal things. Like these people did not receive or, or, or accept the invitation because they went back to common things. And they're no different than us. When we hear the message of salvation, when we hear about returning to God and come to Jesus and accept Jesus, where's your heart? Are you refusing the invitation? Are you looking down on Christians? Are you just turning back to your old ways? The wedding invitation is extended to anyone and everyone, total strangers, both good and bad. This refers to the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. This portion of the parable is a foreshadowing of the Jewish rejection of the gospel in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, where the Jewish leaders strongly opposed them. The apostles' words echoed the king's estimation that those invited to the wedding did not deserve to come. We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul was mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verse 46. The gospel message Jesus taught would be made available to everyone. And I love this picture in this parable where it talks about he sends them out to the street corners. Now everyone is invited. And this message was always meant for everyone. Do you know what happened to the disciples, to Paul, to the founding fathers, if you would, of the faith? They all died. They were killed. As it is today, as we as Christians extend the invitation to come to the banquet, to come to God. The matter of the wedding garment is instructive. It would be a gross insult to the king to refuse to wear the garment provided to the guest. The man who was caught wearing his old clothing learned what an offense it was as he was removed from the celebration. This was Jesus' way of teaching the inadequacy of self-righteousness. From the very beginning, God has provided a covering for our sin. To insist on covering ourselves is to be clad in filthy rags. Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame, but they found their fig leaves to be woefully scant. God took away their handmade clothes and replaced them with skins of sacrificed animals. In the book of Revelation, we see those in heaven wearing white robes. And we learn that the whiteness of the robes is due to their being washed in the blood of the Lamb. We trust in God's righteousness, not in our own. And so just as the king provided wedding garments for his guests, God provides salvation for mankind. 
Our wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ. And unless we have it, we will miss the wedding feast. When the religions of the world are stripped down to their basic tenets, we either find man working his way towards God or we find the cross of Christ. The cross is the only way to salvation. For his crime against the king, the improperly attired guest is thrown out into darkness. For their crimes against God, there will be many who will be consigned to utter darkness. Existence without God for eternity. Christ concludes the parable with the sad fact that many are invited, but few are chosen. In other words, many people hear the call of God, but only a few heed it or respond to it. To summarize this point of the parable of the wedding feast, God sent his son into the world, and the very people who should have celebrated his coming rejected him, bringing judgment upon themselves. As a result, the kingdom of heaven was opened up to anyone who would set aside his own righteousness and by faith accept the righteousness God provides in Jesus. Those who spurn the gift of salvation and cling instead to their own good works will spend eternity in hell. The self-righteous Pharisees who heard this parable did not miss Jesus' point. In the very next verse, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. The parable of the wedding feast is also a warning to us to make sure we are relying on God's provision of salvation, not our own good works or religious service. These men heard Jesus tell this story and they knew he's talking about us. And instead of repenting, instead of going, oh God, forgive us. Oh God, we don't want to be that way. (laughs) They said, no. We're going to trap him and we're going to have to kill him. Again, (laughs) the message of Jesus is one of hope, is one of peace, and ultimately it's one of love. The love of God, who loves us, a creation that is totally rebellious towards Him. He loves us, you all. He loves you. His love is so amazing that he would lay his life down for us and then God would plead with us come, come, come be with me but yet we say no no we want to go our way we want to do us we want to live however we want because this is better for us and how can that be that just goes to show you As it was then, so it is now. Religious people aren't going to respond to God. They're going to believe they have, and they're going to try to make it about what they've done. Look how good I'm living my life. Look at this. I'm following this. I'm following that. And I keep telling you, that's the teaching of the devil. And you should not be yoked with anyone whose teachings are rooted in demonic teachings. 
no matter how you want to spin it or how good they may look and look like they're doing or look how they're growing, <laughs> don't be deceived because not many are coming. Like, do we get that? Like, not many people are going to turn to Jesus and truly live for Him. So you're not looking for the largest crowd to be what's right. You're just looking to the Savior who willingly came and took your place of punishment. Like He says, I'll take it for you. Now come follow me. We're going to close in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 18 through 20. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's revealing himself to his followers. Some still didn't believe. (laughs) And now he's about to be taken up into heaven. Where he's now, to this day, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Waiting for the day of the wedding feast to come back for his bride. And he can come at any moment. I love that illustration. Like even the Jewish bride knew she had to be ready. <laughs> she couldn't just be lalagagging and carrying on with her many lovers. No, the contract was already signed. They're married. They're one. Now wait for him. And wait expecting because he's gone away to prepare a place for you. And so each and every day you're waking up expecting. Like, come, Lord Jesus, come. Yes, Lord. Like we're expecting that day, y'all. And, and a twinkle of the eye. And in just a second, whoop, being transformed from this fallen world to a glorious one. A glorious one. So Jesus has now gathered his disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. I am with you always. He's given us, you all, all authority in heaven and on earth. We've been given the Holy Spirit to live upright in a crooked world when everything else is screaming at us to bend. <laughs> but the power of the Holy Spirit, we say, no. I belong to my beloved and I'm waiting for him no matter what you're presenting me no matter what you're offering me no I'm committed to the one who first 
was committed to me. I'm not trading it. So I can walk in the authority that has been given to me. And therefore, now we go to all nations. Because this message is for everyone, you all. Remember, everyone born is a sinner. They're living against God. And we have the message to tell them. Come back to God. And the only way to Him is through Jesus. Through His cross, through His resurrection. It's the only way. And then baptize them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then teach them. Teach these new followers. Teach these new disciples to obey. What does obedience look like now? To everything that Jesus has commanded. And then that blessed promise, be sure of this. I am with you always. Even till the end of the age. And I was sharing with Norma this week. And it's interesting that a lot of people... I was the same way too when we come to Christ. We, we keep thinking that our lives have to be perfect. Like we keep thinking like we have, every, we have to have everything right and then we're okay with God. No. He doesn't say here, go, he doesn't say here, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing, I mean, he doesn't say go and make disciples of all nations Teach them to obey and then baptize them. No, he says, go, share the good news. Baptize them and then teach them. We must understand that. Again, your Christian life is not going to be, quote unquote, this perfect life. Because the only one who's perfect is Jesus. But... But don't let the enemy in and tell you, well, that means you can continue to sin. Or make your sin as if it means nothing to you. It doesn't grieve your heart. No, when we sin, we ought to be grieving. Like, ugh, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. My groom is coming back for me. (laughs) I don't belong here. God, I'm sorry. And then if we offended anyone, we go to them and we say, we're sorry. Because we're living differently now. And through that action, we're teaching others how to obey. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Remember the greatest commandment, you all, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. Just love Him. That's the call. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then to confess that He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and the power of death. I don't have to be yoked to them anymore. I'm free. So I can walk differently. I can start thinking differently. I can start speaking differently. Not because of anything of me, 
but because of the power of Christ in me. I'm like, yes, Father. Oh, that we would see the beauty of our King. Oh, that we would rejoice through all circumstances. Life is going to hit you, left and right. Circumstances are going to get out of control. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. So why are you allowing what has already been overcome overtake you? See, it's a shifting of mindset, you all. It's a shifting of taking thoughts captive and going, no, no, that's a lie. That's of my old nature. And I'm choosing this day not to believe it anymore. No matter how it's screaming at me in my face, no matter how it's breathing down my back, I'm choosing to look up and to say, you're God. I'm not. With all the desires and everything that's flaring up within me. They're all meant and they're all based out of brokenness. So I don't want to continue to be broken out of from the temporalness of life. I just want to be broken for Christ, for the things of God. If I'm going to desire or be inflamed with anything, let it be for your sake and not for my flesh. Because everything that we would give ourselves to out here is really of no value. Oh, but it means so much to me. Well, that's your choice. But even if it's a relationship, even if it's just something this or that, like at any moment it could be gone. And that's what you're putting your whole worth in. And see, when you come to Christ, and your value is first found there, then you can begin to find value out here by building healthy relationships, by how having healthy mindsets towards objects. It's not that having things or having relationships are wrong. The question is, do they have you? And as a Christian, they're not supposed to have us. We're not finding our worth in that. Because our worth is based solely in Christ. So I'm going to play these few songs to close us in worship. And I would just ask that as we're listening to these songs, allowing these words to be sung over us, don't get distracted. Close your eyes if you need to. Stand up if you need to. Do whatever you need to, to to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you right where you're at. And if there's active sin in your life, then take the time to say, I'm sorry. If you're sitting here today, you're not a believer, but yet that is your desire to believe and, and to confess, then make that a statement today. And if you are a believer, but you're wandering all around every which way, well, then hear the call. The banquet's being prepared. Come. So turn from sin and turn to him. And just say yes, Lord. And if you don't want to respond any which way, well then just recognize that's your choice. 
And the reality of that response is that you're rejecting him. So just make sure you understand that, which is fine because you have a right to reject him. But just understand that at the end of time, that was your choice. See, God gets a bad rap. Oh, he's a bad God. How could a loving God do this? And we blame God for everything. And yet God is so full of love. He's so compassionate. He's full of such great mercy. There's no fault found in God. The fault fault is found in us. So however you need to respond today, I pray you will. And then I'll close this in in prayer after this.